0: How many hundred millions are trying to be good at this? This is an extremely competitive industry, uh, which I think makes it fascinating uh, to just to study human performance. Because if there are three hundred millions who are waking up every day trying to thinking about how good they want to become at football, uh, and you study the top, you know. 50 individuals in this sport you know that these people have something very special about them that that made them successful
1: geir Jure is a norwegian professor who conducts cutting edge research to understand what makes an elite performance in football in this episode we discuss his passion for football and creating exceptional research what separates a great player from an average player his frustration over England's penalty strategy, how top players can deal with inevitable setbacks, his collaboration with Arsenal Football Club, and the similarities between great football players and top managers. Let's start the show. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Quarter is 100% free. They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more over time. They always prioritize requested companies, which users can easily do in the app. Users can also leave reactions while listening to the conference calls to make their voice heard. So check out Quarter. Q U A R T R. All opinions expressed by Christophe Vonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Bin. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christophe Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited to be joined by Geir and Geir, thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Well, it's my pleasure.
1: You talk a lot about football and you are one of the leading experts on the field. Can you just tell us a bit about your upbringing and how you got a passion for football?
0: I'm the leading expert on the field. There are so many people in this field. (laughs) But I am definitely one that has gone very far in my particular little field within within football. That's for sure. Um, So my upbringing, well, as so many of my other friends back in the day, I wanted to become a football player. So uh, so really up until the age of 18, life was about that. All I wanted to do was, was to play football and to play football at the highest level. Um, and uh, my passion for football probably grew uh, those, those, those early days. Now what happened was that uh, the life did not have that uh, uh, for me. Um, when I was 18, I did in fact uh, sign a professional contract with... With a club, a decent Norwegian club, but my very first pre-season <laughs> friendly training game, uh, I got an injury, and that was it. And I, and 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 then it was back to school instead, and, and focusing
1: on my my studies. What type of injury? Uh, just
0: just a muscle injury, uh, but but one that uh, kept me out from from uh, active football playing. Um, and so of course i mean devastating at the time this was a, this was a this was a massive trauma um but but thinking back at that now um i'm, I'm going to say i'm happy for the injury but but in a way i'm i'm pleased with what i made out of that because all the energy that at that point i'd put into football wanting to become a player now i just i suddenly needed another channel for it and that channel was um studying basically my books i discovered psychology I discovered football science uh, and I spent literally twice as many hours focusing on my books as as my my student uh, buddies Um, and and now looking back at it the the foundation that I laid then in those years uh, I'm I'm still uh, I'm still basing a lot of the things that I do on that.
1: I mean, that's super interesting because it is a very common thing that when people lose football in their life, either they are professionally and then the career stops, etc. They need uh, a new way to channel that same energy and passion. And you found a new passion related to research and science. But just to just to understand, did that did that change come very quickly or did you have to find it in a couple of years after deciding that football is not going to be the, the journey for you?
0: Yeah, good question. I mean, um, it's um, uh, all these things happened over probably like a couple of years. Um, So 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 I quickly realized that I needed to focus on something, uh, and I needed to, to put my my interests into something. And then it evolved a little bit exactly how I did that. So I had, I had three, four years, when I basically, when I did my bachelor's degree and all those things where I, I I slowly kind of emerged that I wanted to do football, sport, psychology, something in that intersection. But exactly what I struggled with a little bit. So for example, I, I mean, I, w- I was crazy back in that day because I, I took on so much, which which always probably has been the case with me. Um, and I was eating over much more than I could could chew. <laughs> Um, so there was one point when I was done with my bachelor that I, I couldn't decide what topic that I wanted to write my master's uh, thesis on. So I had two topics. It was one relating more into football perception, vision, awareness, these types of things. And the other one was more into the philosophical area. still philosophy of sport, but more related to consulting, counseling players and so forth. I couldn't decide... So basically I ended up going to the, to the rector at my school and I asked, is it possible to write two? Can I just do two master theses in parallel? And what's funny is that he said, um, hmm, no one has done that before. It sounds great, but you need to talk to the CEO of the university first because this is so special. So I went to him and he said, hmm, no one has done this before. Impossible, you cannot do that. So basically that was a no <laughs> and i had to choose um so 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 questions like that i had at the time but after like when i ended up on, on doing that and then, then I, I got more clear about what i wanted to do
1: just just a quick and i guess simple question to answer but i just want to to highlight it the importance of going abroad and learning from the best places in the world i mean we have a danish guy famous for that rasmus ankersen who wrote the gold mine effect like, if you were researching skiing, it would be natural to stay in Norway and just be in Norway. But I mean, football, you sort of have to go out and explore what are the best guys doing at all times. Can you just highlight that importance of going abroad and, and yeah, doing it the, the proper way?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's a very good point. And um, yeah, if you, if you stay in Norway studying football, <laughs> you're, you're going to be really, really knowledgeable about the second best, <laughs> for what they are doing. Uh, So football is obviously so global and there's so many big communities outside of the the culture. So so for me, the the international focus of what I've done has been um, very present from from early years. So so it started with, uh, basically, I started going to conferences, So, so conferences in my field, sports psychology conferences. I started presenting at these conferences. I didn't really have that much substantial to present, but I wanted to just be very active uh, at at doing that. So very early I I did that. Uh, Then of course I moved abroad. So I spent uh, in total, I spent three years in the Netherlands um, uh, working also closely with uh, football communities, national teams and so forth uh, there. Um, But also probably most important for me is that um, I've been very always seeking outside and always being to events, going to visit clubs, making friends. um, And and, and this is something that I've done now for, I would say, 10, 12 years, very actively. Um, And again, um, uh, punching a little bit uh, above my my own weight, uh, trying to be a part of uh, groups and communities where probably I don't belong. Um, and 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 being a little bit um as we sometimes would say un Norwegian um uh, just uh, throw away re- respect or not respect but throwing away the 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 over respect that you sometimes have for big names and big clubs and and so forth and just just try to just put yourself in there which has been you know incredibly difficult because because I'm like a lot of Norwegians, very you know shy and cautious, um, and and and, it, and it's not something that, that that comes natural to me. But it's just so incredibly important. And once you've gotten past some of these hurdles, it, it gets easier. And once you've gotten into some of these clubs, it gets easier the next time. Once you start to make some friends and you form really good, you know, enduring connections, then these things are are, are, are just very different.
1: That's super interesting. I wanna talk a bit about your research, but before we dive into the perception and scanning, I would just love to, to highlight, you have a principle that you say that you love to look where no one else is looking. And I just wanted you to expand a bit on that principle, and then we can use that as a segue over to scanning and perception. Yeah,
0: um, you call it a principle. Yeah, it, it, it is somewhat of that. i I mean i i i got i get bored about pursuing those questions that everyone else pursues so 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 with my professional life it's always been like that if if everyone goes to the left you know i'm i get curious about what's to the right um um so so with football it's like that with with sports psychology it's like that like i'm I can't just do what everyone else is doing. So I feel so, it's, so there's something in that kind of defying the crowd that that uh, motivates me, inspires me. Um, so so with my work, it's been a lot like that. That um, when there's a certain paradigm in my field, that you know, uh, uh, at, at some point at my university, everyone was doing motivation research. So, of course, there's no way that I'm going to do motivation research. Everyone is doing questionnaire research. Obviously, I'm not going to do questionnaire research. Everyone is doing this type of this. This is like the standard approach to to doing, for example, sports psychology consulting. So I'm going to do that a bit bit differently. Um, Now, so there's a part of that to kind of define the, the norm, if you want. Uh, but, of course, it's also about finding the most pragmatic solutions to something, the, the most effective ways to solve a problem. So, so really, with my research, that's, that's what it is. I mean, I'm, I, I still kind of feel that I'm, I'm not really a researcher, which is silly, of course, because, you know, I picked up all the degrees that you can imagine. I, I have a lot of publications. Not, not, I don't have a lot, but I have, I have publications uh, but I, I feel like I'm a practitioner that that pursues practical questions. But to, to get good answers to these questions and to be able to give good advice, I need to actually get some real answers. And to get those real answers, you, you know you do research. So all my research has really been driven by practical questions that I need answers to. Uh, and and then um, yeah, then then a lot of knowledge is also accumulated.
1: What's the story about the? Scanning piece that you have become very well known for. Where did it initially start? Did it start with observing a game, or did it start in in the research lab, or how did that idea spark your mind?
0: Yeah, so that's a combination of things. Because uh, even when I played, I I knew about this topic, Um, and and it's it's not it's not a brand new topic either. It's something that coaches know about. It's I mean in, in the old uh, coach education books in norway there's there's something uh, about the what they call in norwegian the hofmesterblick which i guess would be like the, the head waiter vision the head waiter at a restaurant who has complete overview of what's going on at every single table when there comes new guests in you know who needs what at what time and so forth so, so even as a player I knew about this but this was something that belonged kind of in the coaching role. When I got into psychology, sports psychology, you know, there was nothing about this. Um, Again, it was very theory driven. It was very questionnaire driven. And you can't really test these things with a questionnaire. So so when I was doing my studies and I needed needed something to focus on, uh, and I knew that I wanted to do something in the concentration, attention, perception uh, 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 sphere, um, then I combined these two and basically started looking at what players on, on the field are doing in games. So at, at first, again, because no one had done this before, you know, you, need, you needed to experiment with, so how do you do this? You, you film players, you film them close up. Um, and, you know, at, at, in the beginning of this, this, this was back in the day where we had the VHS cameras, you know, these massive machines that you had to uh, get help to carry. Um, so we filmed players close up, uh, I, I got a lot of my students to join me on this. So we had, you know, it looked ridiculous. We had like six, seven cameras at one game standing side by side, and people were wondering what we're doing. But we needed this many cameras because we focused on each player. And focusing on each player gave us then the chance to look at, like you say, scanning. So the, so the 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 way that the players are basically very simply looking around themselves before they get the ball. Because you can see a lot of this. And the reason that there hasn't been that much focus on these things before, is that to actually to really observe this, you need to look at players when they don't have the ball. But most people look at the football game and they either look at the ball and the player on the ball, or look, or they look at kind of patterns of, of players. But individuals, when they don't have the ball, have never been that interesting. And then, of course, that's something that I was...
1: Can can we use some players as example? I mean, you, you used so many players at different times, but just to to make people who are listening or watching an understanding of what you're looking for and which players typically are highlighted in these types of service or studies.
0: Yeah. So so historically, um, the, the the first uh, the first player actually that I that I filmed myself uh, uh, with with this was Frank Lambert when he played for Chelsea um so basically what i did then was I, I focused on my i had my camera to to a game at Stamford bridge you know smuggled in because i wasn't sure if they were so happy with these video cameras although they were smaller uh than, than they used to be uh, and then i followed frank lambert for 90 minutes only looking at him so then what you see with him is you know he was amazing at this back in the premier league uh, uh 10 12 years ago uh there was no one like him so his So he would have a scanning frequency across many of these games we filmed of 0.6 scans per second, and because we measure this in the last 10 seconds before you get the ball, that's six scans in the last 10 seconds before you get the ball, and we see that some of the best players now also they're they're up there, Uh, so typically central midfield players, and you can I mean you can pick any. And a central midfielder, uh, they, they will they will have a scanning frequency that's typically between zero point four or 7, 0.7. Some of the top players in the game are now, that's yeah. Look at uh, look at Gundogan in Manchester City. He's he's up there at the uh, almost zero point seven. Look at a more offensive player like Kevin De Bruyne. He's also up there at zero point six. So these players have this immense ability to look away from the ball prior to receiving the ball, to collect information that they can use when they, when they
1: get the ball. That's fascinating. But I think it's also important to remember that there is a big difference between scanning a lot and scanning at the right time. You have this example. I think it's in Head & Fan. I think you compare... Uh, Martin Ödgård to another player just to showcase that it, it is a difference between scanning at the right time versus just scanning for the sake of scanning. Can you just quickly also tell, tell us about that difference?
0: Yeah, so so, so scanning is, is really just uh, moving your visual system so that you can see better. But if a player scans, it doesn't mean that they're picking up information. It doesn't mean that they're using information. So scanning is really just the entry point picking up information. And with respect to timing, um, the principle here is that you want your eyes to be exposed to the most important information at any point in time. And this changes, of course, what's the most important information at one point can be different at another point. Um, And most players tend to uh, look at the ball for the majority of, of a game because often the ball represents the most important information. Now, in our research, we've kind of discovered that that is true when a player touches the ball. Because when the ball is being touched by a player, then the ball will typically change direction, change speed, it will stop, it will be passed and so forth. So that particular moment when the ball is touched, it's incredibly important to look at the ball. But that also means that in between those moments, so when the ball is being in between touches when a player has the ball or when the ball is heading from player A to player B, this is a time where you don't really need to look at the ball because there's nothing interesting, nothing new happening with the ball. So at that point, look away from the ball. And if you look at top players, and they're probably not aware of this, they're like a clock. You know, they're, it's, it's like a metronome. Like They look at the ball when the ball is being touched, and they look away from the ball between touch, back to the ball when it's touched, away from the ball between touches. And so the example that you're referring to is it's, it's a game with, with head and fan where, where you see a head and fan player is, is having the wrong timing. So he looks away from the ball uh, when the ball is being touched. Um, and he ends up missing a pass that is hit to him because he doesn't see the beginning part of the, of the pass. Whereas at the same time, in the same situation, you have a young Martin Odegaard who has perfect timing. So in the same situation, the same frequency, but very different timing. And this is something you see with, with most top players, really.
1: Fascinating. Uh, I mean, there, there's no secret that you have been doing some research with or involving Arsenal Football Club, and I think you have you have you have said that there's one quote by um, Arsene Wenger. It's a very public quote at a conference where he says something like, "Happiness is not paired with top performers," and maybe he's taking it a bit too far. But can you just explain that? Rational, why does he say that? Why does he believe that happiness isn't necessarily linked with the top player?
0: Yeah, so I'm not sure if I'm an authority on Arsenal Wenger. <laughs> let me start by saying that. Um, but with that said, uh, 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 there was certainly a collaboration uh, a few years ago at, at, at Arsenal Football Club. Um, and, and, and also I'm, I am fascinated with with the man, his philosophy, uh, what he has achieved, uh, and, and so forth. And, and I've also seen some of those quotes um, where, where he's, he's saying that, you know, the, the comfort zone is the biggest enemy of, of, of performance in, in pop sport. And top athletes um, are dissatisfied individuals. They're not happy in, individuals. Um, now, um, sometimes when I when I when I when I see these quotes, I'm I'm suspecting that that Arsen Wenger is really talking at, about himself, um, and and that he has this type of mindset towards what he has achieved, which is this this really extremely disciplined person that that of course he has disclosed in his his uh, autobiographies and and so forth um, that just goals to, to this really painstaking lengths to 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 do the right things to get the work done and, and make his his teams win um so i, so I think there's uh, there's something to that but i've also seen seen him talk about uh, in, in other interviews where that 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 you have a certain personality that is in this direction that is the very ascetic uh kind of uh, high willpower personality that will Will do what it takes in, in the day to get results in the long run, but there are also that there are we call it the lighter type of person that that is is floating a little bit more around, is a little bit more playful, it's a little bit more harmonious, a little bit more holistic in lifestyle and so forth, and that this personality can also achieve great things in football as 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 in as in life.
1: Do you think there's a uh... Uh, distinction or difference between managers versus top players? That some mentalities, because you see some players do exceptionally well as managers. You see some managers who aren't top players become managers on the on the very top. Do you have any suspicions, or have you done any research to look just look at managers and not football players necessarily?
0: Um, so personally, I haven't done the research on managers, um, uh, but 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 I've been around a few. Uh, and and so 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 of course I have some speculations about some of these things. Um, now, in one way, I think it's it's a lot of the same processes that are necessary to become a top player and a top manager. Because what they have in common is of course the context. So the elite football, which is, if you think of it, you know how ma- how many hundred millions are trying to be good at this. This is an extremely competitive industry. Uh, which I think it ma- makes it fascinating uh, to for, for just to study human performance, because if there are 300 millions who are waking up every day, trying to thinking about how good they want to become at football, uh, and you study the top, you know, 50 individuals in this sport, you know that these people have something very special about them that that made them successful. So, and players did this, and managers also did this. They they all. At least, you know, players and managers at the highest level—they were all able to 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 get this far uh, with a combination of skills, uh, mentality, uh, routine, structure, and so forth and so forth. So, so I think that uh, just as a study of human performance, I think both are, are incredibly interesting. Now, what managers also need to do is obviously managing, so they're managing people. Um, they're leaders in a different way. Um, the, uh, and that, of course, requires a, a whole different skill set. And one thing that I've really been struck by over and over again um, when I've had the fortune to meet some of these you know, global superstar managers is that they're just incredibly good with people. They're just so amazing in their ability to communicate to form relationships. Uh, I mean, um, at least, you know, the ones that I've met, so many of them make, make, make you feel like you are, you know, an incredibly important person for them when you've just literally just met them and you spend five minutes in their presence. Um, and, and this ability, I think, is something that um, they are able to uh, convert into successful teams and successful performances with their teams.
1: Perfect ending. Geir, thank you so much for taking the time to join. Over the last years, we have tried to give our community the best possible content on business, investing, and entrepreneurship. If you have enjoyed this free content over time and find it valuable, it would be amazing if you want to support us by making a small donation in our Patreon. Just click the link in the description to have a look. If you want to watch this episode as well, please head over to our YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe to the channel.